Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and onto the running trail, where you can in turn inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for all we're able to do in His name. Amen. I am your running host, Dean Thompson. As always, I am joined by Run for God founder, Mitchell Hollis. And this week, we have a treat for you. We are switching it up and going to give you something a little bit different. We hope you enjoy it. Um, what do we have for Mitchell? Well, this week, we're going to uh, we're gonna preview a... Not preview... Um, Review. Review. An interview that we did with uh, with Ryan Hall. Uh, for everybody out there who don't know who Ryan Hall, who doesn't know who Ryan Hall is, uh, he is the, the 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 nation's fastest marathoner and half marathoner, and he just happens to be a very outspoken uh, believer. So uh, it's a great interview. We hope everybody enjoys it. Absolutely. He talks about his childhood, some personal ex- excellence situations, and kind of how his brain works a little bit. It's really interesting to get that peek into his brain. I think you'll enjoy that. Um, and then Mitchell talks about some quotes that he's had that are directly related to that. Um, the video has been broken into two parts. Mm-hmm. So we have part one that we'll do today, and next week we'll share with you the second part. You know, a really cool thing about Ryan uh, that we just found out yesterday, he is now a run club ambassador that is correct and, so uh, so maybe we'll have him uh maybe we'll have him on one of these facebook lives you do on one thursday night that would be awesome wouldn't it yeah maybe, absolutely yeah that would be good so uh yeah don't so you are part of the same club as a guy who is the fastest marathoner in the country an olympic marathoner an olympic marathoner isn't that awesome that's it's going to be cool to get inside his head a little bit to find out how how an olympic athlete what makes them tick because I think we can all learn something from oh, that. Uh, no question. No <laughs> question. Uh, so we'll take a break, and the interview will start on the other side of the break. But don't go anywhere, because once that break is over, we're going to talk a little bit about what was in that video. So this is our sponsor, uh, J Radio, uh, the world's greatest digital music platform. As a Christian runner, you might find it hard to decide what to listen to while you run. If you are looking for positive and Christian music that will help you keep your pace, check out the Radioactive Station on the new J Radio. We'll take care of picking the music so that you can concentrate on your run. Plus, you can count on us to make sure that the music is uplifting and encouraging. Check out JRadio.com or download the app in your app store. So I'm here with Brian Hall, um, America's fastest marathoner and half marathoner. Brian, uh, thank you, first of all, for, for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Chattanooga yeah. for a race, I understand. Yes, yeah, we were out here for uh, an event and just ran a 5K this morning with all the kiddos, and it was super fun. So, yeah, the kids were loving Chattanooga. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, let's just jump right into it. Tell, tell me a little bit about your childhood. We've got a lot of instructors and students watching this that, that some may know you, some may know you better than others. So just tell me a little bit about your about your childhood. Yeah. So I grew up in a family of uh, five. Uh, I was in the middle of five, actually, one sister and four brothers, and um, had an amazing like Christian home that I was in where my dad was did an amazing job of leading us spiritually, doing Bible studies, and we're going to church and all that. Um, but I wouldn't say my faith was like super... Uh, 
personal, you know, is more like me praying at God, me reading the Bible. So I didn't feel guilty for not reading the Bible kind of thing, you know. Um, and it, it wasn't like I didn't take it seriously or didn't believe. It was just like it, it was more like a ritual than like an experience, you know. And that all kind of shifted for me one day. I was 13 years old heading down to a basketball game, Big Bear Lake in Southern California where I grew up. And I remember looking out over the lake, and at that time, I hated to run, um, even though I was good at it. Like, I would run the P- the mile in PE and do really well. My dad would always tell me, he's like, you can be a great runner if you want to, but the desire has to come from you. And it, I didn't have the desire at all until that moment when I was 13, looking out over the lake. I felt like God just kind of planted a little seed of desire inside me and um, inspired me to try and run around the lake. So um, the following Saturday, my dad and I, we went out for a very long, and slow 15 mile run around the lake and I remember collapsing in the couch and and what I'd say for the second time in my life feeling like God was like speaking my heart and telling me that uh, one day I'd run with the best guys in the world but he gave me that gift so I could help other people and uh, you know I spent the next 20 years going after that I went from a kid who hated to run to a kid who like was so focused on running like like I all my friends changed how I you know the things that are important to me in my life changed I started training like crazy I got very disciplined with my nutrition and sleep and all that stuff and I was like going after this thing this vision I felt like God had given me and um, I'm so glad he gave me that vision because there was a lot of tough times along the way a lot more hard times for me than really good times and it was during those really hard times that I'd have to reflect back on that vision and be like, have I done what I know God has told me I'm going to do? And if the answer is no, I got to pick myself up out of this and keep moving forward. Wow. So, so let's, let's back all the way up to <laughs> that first run. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we start off in, in the 5k challenge with a 60 second run. You started off with 15 miles. How, <laughs> tell me how that felt. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. No, it, it it was painful. It was. I had my literally my basketball shoes on. So by the time I finished this run, my feet were all blistered up, and um, and I was exhausted. Like we had to stop like quite a bit during that run. It took forever. My dad was a runner already at the time, so he was probably just bored out of his mind because we we're going so slow. But he didn't he didn't tell me that. You know, he was just encouraging me the whole way. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't recommend a fifteen mile run right out the gate. But I would recommend like listening to what God's put inside of you and and even more so like listen to the people that God's surrounded you with you know and so like my dad he's you know like the closest person to me and he could really tell that hey like this is something that he's feeling in his heart from God and so rather than being like no you know what we should just start with like a much shorter run he's like no I'm a partner with what I see God doing in your life and we're gonna go do it together so I would just encourage people like listen to to God first and then to the people that he surrounds you with as you're getting into the sport. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend a 15-mile run right out the gate. So so when did you realize, when was that aha moment that you knew running was going to be a big part of your life? Yeah, so that moment when I collapsed on the couch, like that was it. You know, that's where I really believe like I was going to be a world-class runner that one day. So I'm so glad that I have that because what I found is that you function, what comes out of you is what you believe about yourself. So that's why like now as a dad, like my number one priority 
is to get my kids to have a firm identity, to know who they are and have it be rooted in something that's unshakable. Um, because from that moment, I believed I was going to run with the best guys in the world. So I acted that way. Um, I trained that way. I, I took risk that way. Like when I was in high school, I remember doing indoor mile race against Bernard Lagat, who was at the time, I think he was the second or third fastest human being to ever run the mile. And I'm on the start line with him and I'm like 18 years old in high school. But like I went with him because I was just like, I'm supposed to run with the best guys in the world. That doesn't mean sitting back like a lap behind them, you know? So I went with them the first 800 and then totally blew up, you know? But um, that that kind of belief and being able to take that kind of risk is what allowed me to get to um, that spot of running with the best guys in the world. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We tell our kids a lot. And, and it may be a quote by somebody, I don't know, but you never know how far you can go until you go too far. Yep, yep. And it you sounds like that's the, the way you run sometimes is – is yep. taking those risks. That's yeah. uh, that's pretty telling. So I, I've, I've done a little research. I, I knew some of these numbers, but I want you to help me explain something. And I had to look it up. You're the you're the currently the U.S. record holder for the half marathon with a 59.43. You're also the only American who's ever run under 205, but you're not the record holder yeah. at 205. How does that work? Yeah. So when I ran 204.58, which is my fastest of all time, it was at the Boston Marathon in 2011. And they have all these rules and regulations about what makes a marathon uh, record eligible. And so for Boston, it violates a couple of those regulations. One being you drop 400 feet. It's a net 400 foot drop from start to finish. And then the other one being it can't be point to point um, for the reason that it makes it so much better because that day we had like an amazing tailwind so it was like the opportunity of a lifetime to run a fast time actually uh bill rogers he he told me previous to that race he's like you know like once every 10 years we get a wicked tailwind and you can really roll and uh i'll never forget standing on the starting line in hopkinton and looking up at the american flag and it was just blowing the exact direction we're running and I was like, I'm not letting one mile go by where I'm not pressing. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what I can do today. So it was a really cool experience, even though it wasn't technically an American record. It's still, you know, the fourth fastest time ever run at the Boston Marathon in 123 or 25 years that's been going on. And I'm still the fastest American to ever run that course as well. So there's so much history at Boston that... It's a shame it's not yeah. a, an American record. That's, yeah. That's one of the probably most nostalgic right and it was a bit controversial because i was fourth in that race that day um but the guys who were one two they both were well under the world record the current world record at the time so there was a lot of kind of controversy there for a while like should it be eligible should it not because boston definitely is not a fast course like even though it's a net drop like those hills they hurt you a lot more than they help you yeah um so there's and i actually heard like rumblings recently that they might they're considering changing boston to make it record eligible so really I don't know. <laughs> but to me, like, to me, I had to shift my perspective of what competition is, you know, growing up as a kid where you're surrounded by it's like, how do you stack up next to everyone else? But I learned that that was like a really unfulfilling way for me to do sports. But what I found is a, a really super fulfilling way for me to do sports is to go after personal excellence. Mm-hmm. 
and just be like, I'm going to be the best version of myself today. Like that's the only thing I can control. I can't control how good I am today compared to a year ago or five years ago or tomorrow, but like I can get the most out of myself today. So I'd just be focused on like, I'm going to do a great job with what I'm doing right now and, and look at it for what it is, you know, on that day and not be comparing it as it is so easy for me to do to previous years or, um, you know, future years to come. You know, that's pretty telling that, you know, athletes at at your level, we, we kind of have a relationship with Gwen Jorgensen and she, she says the same thing. She never makes goals based on outcome goals. She always makes process goals. And it sounds like that's what you're saying is, is the process. Are you doing everything? Yeah. And, and what I wrote about too in my book um, is about coming up with goals that are like heart goals. That, that's what I kind of shifted from. And it's crazy to see like how different I am now compared to when I was at Stanford, for example, and I had a countdown till the Olympic Games, you know, and every morning I'd get up and like take a day off and I was doing it like a thousand days out, you know? Yeah. And I realized like, man, I'm putting so much pressure on one day, you know, like and my i want to enjoy my life and not just have my whole life be revolving around this this one day you know yeah. so um and also too it's just very frustrating cuz you try and control things you try and control how fit you get how you're going to feel on race day but like running is just a bit of a mystery it's like some of my best races i don't know why i felt so good but i did you know and some of the times when i was like man i was so fit why didn't it click that day in the marathon like i don't know so you got to be like okay with with a little bit of mystery there yeah yeah so you you made a few quotes through the years and i want to ask you just about a few of these because they're they're very insightful and and i would like for you just to kind of go a little bit behind what you're thinking and and this is the one I told my son the other night is you made the quote, how you define hard is going, is going to determine how you experience hard. And from what I understand, you don't use that word very much. The word hard, go, go a little deeper into that quote. Yeah. Yeah. So the kind of backstory behind that is like, as a kid, when I was training, I remember I would be like, man, I'm running 40 miles a week. And it felt like a ton, you know, and I'm super tired. I'm like, I can't imagine running more than this. And then I'd hear about a guy like Dathan, who's my same year in high school, who's a future American record holder in the 5k and still running phenomenally. And I'd hear about him doing like 70 or 80 miles a week. And all of a sudden you're like, "Eh, it's not that hard, you know? So like, like your perception of what's hard changes based on you know, what you're exposed to. Another example of this was uh, after I retired from pro running, I signed up for this crazy challenge, seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. And I didn't train for it at all. My longest run was eight miles leading up to that. And I just run like three days a week. So my weekly mileage was probably like 20 miles a week. And I was training to run a hundred or I was going to have to run 183 miles, I believe it is in that week. And uh, I was getting pretty nervous as as the competition was getting closer and closer, but not nervous enough to actually train. I was like, no, I want to see how hard this can be, you know. Um, But I remember during that time, I got this book. It's called like Iron Cowboy. And this guy does 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 days in 50 states. And I was like, okay, seven marathons, seven days, seven con, it sounds hard. But relative to that, like it's it's nothing, you know, like this is, I can breeze through this. So um, it's just, it's amazing how the people that you surround you 
yourself with can shape your perception of like what you think of as being hard training. Cause when I'm training by myself running like 40 miles a week, I felt like, well, I'm training so hard. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you put me with a group where everyone's running 70, 80, 90 miles a week. And it's just the new normal. It's like, oh no, everyone just trains this way. So but you got to give yourself grace too, because, you know, it's a process for me where, you know, my new normals were being reestablished, you know, time after time after time. And it was a gradual stepping process. You know, I didn't go from running 20 miles a week to a hundred miles a week. It took years and years to build there. So you got to be patient with yourself too and be like, okay, I can't just like not think this is going to be hard and then expect to be able to go out and run a marathon, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you, you got to embrace the process. So you talked about, I've actually got it down here later, but we'll go ahead and park there now. The seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, so I, it's funny. It was kind of full circle for me. And that was kind of the bookend of, of my career. I'd already retired from running professionally, but the way things ended, it just didn't go how I was hoping it would go. I always pictured like running my last marathon, having it be a really good marathon, getting down on my knees at the finish line, taking off my shoes and walking away barefoot. And I never had that opportunity. I never got to say goodbye to it. So it kind of felt like an open chapter in my life that, you know, wasn't totally closed um, until one day I was doing some weights because I got into weightlifting after I retired from, from pro running. And I got a text message from Pastor Matthew Barnett, who's my friend. He's the pastor at the Dream Center in Los Angeles. And I just love the work that they're doing down there at the Dream Center, helping people get off the streets in Los Angeles. And uh, he's like, hey, I'm doing this crazy race, seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. And uh, yeah, you just tell me about it and how crazy it's going to be. And I was like, there's something about it that's very similar to the moment when I was 13 and had that vision to try and run around the lake, where something about that just grabbed me. And so I texted him right back. I was like, oh, man, that sounds amazing. Like, let me know. And the running didn't sound amazing, but just like the whole experience yeah. and traveling around the world in a week. And there's something just – and the epic challenge of it, you know, I'd never – Usually we run two marathons a year and that's like a lot, you know? So the thought of doing seven back to back to back was just like, whoa, this would be intense, you know? Um, but there's something that just grabbed me. And so I text him back. He's like, hey, let me know if you want company. And he texts right back. He's like, yeah, you should totally come. And things just kind of took off from there. And um, it was an interesting week, you know, having not trained for it at all. It, I was actually getting in better shape as the week was going on. So we started our first day in Antarctica and, we we're moving all over the world. And day five in Morocco is actually my fastest uh, race. I believe it was like 304 or something like that. Wow. And then uh, I got a stress reaction that day, though. And so my next two marathons, I ran with a stress reaction in my hip. So my last marathon in Sydney was like five and a half hours and super long, super painful. Very similar to the 15-mile run around the lake, really. Lots of stops involved and uh, it, was a, it was a big struggle just to make it to the finish line, but I'll never forget finally making it to the finish in Sydney and getting down on my knees, taking my shoes off just like I'd always pictured doing, even though it wasn't really a good race for me, you know, um, taking my shoes off, walking away. And it felt like that was like a clear kind of into that season of my life and kind of launched me into this new season of life of being an author um, focusing on being a good dad, a good husband, and I'm um, also doing some coaching in Flagstaff, Arizona now. So I kind of learned that 
you know, what you experience and learn in one season of life is meant to be pulled into the next season of life. So it's really neat to see like all of that stuff wasn't just for me to experience, but it's for me to take and then now to like give it back out to other people and help and encourage other people. So you started your career and you ended your career with epic runs. Yes. Yes. uh, That's pretty (laughs) awesome. Um, what you believe about yourself is going to determine where you go in life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of goes back to that moment when I was 13. And I believe that I'd run with the best guys in the world. Um, having that belief, like it just, I couldn't help it, but to let it come out. Right. And I think about like how often maybe there's certain behaviors that of mine that I don't like and that I want to change. And I'm just so focused on like avoiding that behavior or trying to clean that behavior up rather than like addressing the heart and like what's actually going on inside of here that's making me act this way. Um, It's, it's always a temptation for me to be like, I'm just going to address like what's physically going on, but really like, and I think Jesus taught this, like everything flows out of our heart. You know, he was all about our heart and us getting clean on the inside. Um, So that's just like a very foundational belief that I've always had is, And the question I like to ask myself, like, what am I believing about myself in this moment? Because I believe beliefs aren't like a one time thing. Like, yes, I had the one time belief when I was 13, but it takes cultivation of those beliefs. You know, it's a daily like monotonous, like every single day being like, I'm choosing to believe this. I don't feel like believing this today because I'm going through X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to choose this belief and I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to cultivate it. I'm going to let it grow kind of like that run you just don't want to get up and do yeah yeah it's, yeah uh, and yeah, we all have those days yeah. it's crazy um when i could get outside of myself i was much better at managing pain yeah i i like to describe my job as a professional pain manager when i was running professionally um because that's really the name of the game right it's like how hard can you push yourself and how hard can you push your body? And what I found is in my moments of most excruciating pain um, that I experience, whether it be mile 20 of Boston or, you know, in route running 206 for the marathon in London, I would be in extreme pain and I'd be, I'd become very like internal and I'm just focused so much on my own pain, my own suffering. And then my perception of my own pain increases. And so I had to find a way to get my focus off of me and put it onto someone else. Because when I was focused on someone else, I wasn't thinking about my pain. I was thinking about how much I love this other person. So oftentimes, you know, we have a lead vehicle in front of us and there'd be a cameraman on the back of it. And I'd literally be staring at this camera and thinking about like Sarah, my wife, who's watching me or my little brother who's watching me at home, you know, and I think about how much I love them and how much they've invested in me for this moment. And it was my love for them that I was going to push through this pain because that it just allowed me to get outside myself. And there's lots of different ways I could go about doing that. Like I remember very vividly in 2009, New York City Marathon is having a really bad race for, I don't know why reason, it was totally mysterious, you know, back in like 16th place at mile like 15 into the race and just pouting to God, you know, and being like, oh, I'm so frustrated. Why is this happening? Like, I don't understand what's going on. And, uh, but then I remembered why I was running and that was the first race I ran for the Hall Steps Foundation, which we had just started. And so every single dollar was going to go towards projects of alleviating poverty all over the world. 
And, uh, and I was like, this is why I'm out here. And like my mind flashed back to my previous trip to Zambia and seeing the kids in tattered clothes and how we were able to bring clean water to them, uh, you know, through a group of people running for Team World Vision at the Chicago Marathon. And I was like, this is why I'm out here. And it allowed me to get outside myself my body physically relaxed and I started to perform a lot better. So um, I'm just, and it also too, I think Jesus did the same thing, you know, it says that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. And I think about like, well, what was that joy that Jesus was set on, you know? And I think, you know, it doesn't say in the Bible what it is, but I think it was, it was me, it was you, it was everyone. Yeah. So I think that's the way to get through our moments of greatest struggle, greatest physical pain is to, to set our love and affection on someone else. Yeah. So, so you, and we're not going to go all the way through these quotes, but, um, you talk a lot about the mental side of the sport. You know, I I had a opportunity several years ago to, to, to attempt to run a hundred mile treadmill run. Um, and long story short, I didn't, I didn't make it through the whole thing. I, I had a stress fracture. But I called a friend of mine when I when I accepted the challenge. It was kind of one of those like your pastor yeah, friend. It was yeah. a buddy of mine, almost a dare. Yeah, and I yeah. sure. <laughs> and but I called a friend of mine who does a lot of these ultra distance races, and I said, Jeff, I said, can I do that? He said, if you can run a marathon, you can run a hundred miles. Yeah. As long as you think you can. Yeah. <laughs> and and you 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 talk about. I mean, a lot of your quotes and a lot of things I've heard you talk about is the mental side. Mm of the sport how how important on a scale is the mental side versus physical Ooh, that's a great question Uh, you know there you got to have both you know it's like especially depends on what your goals are like if your goal is to survive something you can survive a lot of things just off mental strength alone. Like, like me, for example, my seven marathons, like I could get through it because like I was strong up here, but I wasn't going to be running two twenty marathons. Like physically it wasn't there. It wasn't in the cards. So you got to have both, you know, and the two affect each other. Like we're a holistic person with mind, body, spirit, and all of that is just like, you, you can't separate one, you know? Um, so yeah, I'd say it depends on what your goals are. But what I found for myself is like, I just learned that like, I can't focus too far down the road. Like there's this great uh, Dedrick Bonhoeffer quote that I just love. And he talks about like, I don't look at the road in, far in front of me that's too hard for me. I look at Jesus, he's right in front of me. And I say, he leads the way, I will follow. And I, I would reflect back on that quote all the time because I would get overwhelmed by the challenge. And I can imagine like, if you're trying to do hundred miles on a treadmill and you're at mile like 24 and you're hurting being like, like this isn't physically possible. Like your mind would just convince you of that over time. Right. But the truth of the matter is like, you can take one more step unless you have a stress fracture and then maybe it's better to step off the treadmill, (laughs) you know? And there's a time and place for that. You know, like I stepped out of the Olympic games in 2012 and God was telling me like, live to fight another battle another day. So I think you do have to be smart with your mind. You know, it's not just about like drilling your body into the ground into submission every single time. It's more about like partnering with your body. Um, but so I, on the starting line marathons, I was always like freaking out on the inside. Cause I'm thinking about how hard it's going to be at mile 23, 24, 25. And what I have to tell myself all the time is the title of my new book, run the mile you're in. And I would just tell myself, just do a great job with what you're doing right now. Like the grace is here for this moment. 
it's not here for mile 23 yet. Like it'll be there when I get there, but let me just do a great job with what I'm doing right now. Be fully present in this moment and try and maximize what I'm doing. And I'll worry about that part when I get there. Cause it's really the worry about the struggle and the, the thing that you're trying to take on that's worse than actually going through it, you know? So that's pretty telling. Yeah. Before we move on from the mental side, because I, I love the mental side of running. Um, I coach a, a group of junior triathletes and, and some of them race at the elite level. And what I tell them is, is when you show up for these races, everybody's fast. Everybody wants it. It's who's willing to hurt the most. And you, you mentioned a while ago, you call yourself a, a professional pain manager. Ex- explain in your own words what that means <laughs> in the moment in the race yeah. to want it more than the guy running next to there's i think as a professional pain manager you have to have a whole bunch of different tools you can pull on because sometimes i'll try one thing like thinking about other people trying to love them focus on that and it won't work and i'm like okay i need to go to something else you know and so other things i would go to is just like i'll literally visualize myself back in training because that helps me relax and take pressure off the, what I'm currently feeling, you know? Um, so sometimes that would work. If that didn't work, um, another tool that I do all the time is just try and turn my brain off. I would just tell myself simple things. I'm like, just put one foot in front of the other as fast as you can. And like literally try not to think at all. Like I remember hearing an interview with Michael Phelps and they're asking him, what do you think about when you're in the pool? He's like, I'm not thinking about anything. (laughs) I'm just in the moment going, you know? And sometimes like our mind, we just need to quiet it down and, and totally turn it off. So, and you learn these tools and what works well for you. Cause you know, what works for me might be a little bit different than what works for you, but you learn this in training. You know, you put yourself in those situations where you are suffering and you got to figure out how you're going to get through this moment. You shouldn't let that moment only come in a race. Because then, you know, what you haven't done in practice, you're not going to be able to magically pull it out of your your hat on race day. So um, it's just something where you should just be aware of that. Like, well, what what is it for me that works for me when I'm suffering? What what motivates me to get through those moments and try a lot of different things and have like five or six different tactics that you're going to go to? Like when I'm suffering, I'm going to try this. If that doesn't work, I'm going to go to this and this and this and this and uh yeah, eventually something will work. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So your wife, Sarah, is also a pretty good runner. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that how you guys met? Yeah. Right. So Sarah and I met is actually at the California State meet our senior year in high school. And uh, I had run a race early in the morning, won my race, and I had some kids come up and ask for my autograph afterwards. So I signed my name, put my favorite Bible verse underneath it. Later in the day, Sarah runs, wins her race, same kids come up with the same piece of paper, ask for her autograph. So she saw my name, which was amazing that she could even read it because I was just like scribbling it, you know. Um, and she saw I put a Bible verse underneath and, she, and so she, she's like, oh, this guy's a Christian. And so she uh, got my email from a mutual friend and emailed me just to encourage me in my faith. And and we're both like California runners and Christians. And so we kind of had that in common. And then we met the next week at the Foot Locker Championships, actually the Western Regional Championships, and uh, and just kind of kept in touch. And then both decided to go to Stanford and then started dating first week of freshman year, dated all the way through college and um, got married three months after we graduated from Stanford and have been together nearly 14 years now. Wow. 
Now she's got a few big races coming up. She's um, tell me tell me a little bit about her career. Yeah, it's been really fun to see Sarah grow. Um, she came to the marathon. I don't know, I mean, it was like five years ago, somewhere right in there. And, um, and she know, was she, a middle distance yeah, runner. She, she's competed in every Olympic trial since 2004, but always in a different event. So I oh, wow. believe in 2004 is the 5K, and then she moved up to like the steeplechase, and then she did 1500 one year, and then uh, the marathon this last time around, and then she tried again in the 10K on the track. So she did it right. She didn't do yeah. 12 miles around the lake. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's gradually worked her yeah. way up. But it's been fun to see her just kind of steadily improve you know like i think her first marathon in chicago was right around 232 or somewhere right in that range i don't remember exactly what it is and now she's just been every marathon she just gets a little bit stronger a little bit stronger and uh you know ran 226 about a year ago in ottawa and uh and is looking really good you know like the women's running scene is really good in the u.s right now so we have our Olympic trials coming up February 29th in Atlanta. So we're actually heading to Atlanta tonight. We're going to get on the course for the first time tomorrow morning. She's going to preview the course. But, you know, the goal is to uh, to make a, an Olympic team. It'd be her first Olympics. And it, it would just, you know, it'd be a really nice way to end her career. Um, not that she'll be done for sure, but, you know, we're 30, we're both 36 right now. And so... You know, women tend to age a little bit better than guys. I think it's because they listen to their body more than guys. They don't run 12 miles. In the first <laughs> yeah, <time>. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so she's got some exciting stuff, exciting goals, but, um, you know, kind of like what we're talking about, it's better to like have goals that, you know, you can accomplish every time, like goals of the heart or right. focusing on the process. And she's loving, she's loving the process. Right. There is power in people's stories. What I did need and what I was begging for was a relationship that I didn't know that I, I needed and only God could give it to me. I started hearing all these stories that just made me realize this was the right move. I'm here to give these people hope through what Christ can do in their life. Your story can help encourage others around the country, just like these stories have. You can walk through a simple process of sharing your story with the Big Share app. Download the Big Share app in your app store to start sharing hope with others. Okay, we are back, and wow, wow, wow. How about that interview? Uh, and that's only half of it. That's the amazing part, right? I, the, the thing that impresses me most about Ryan is is he's a great storyteller. Yes, he you know, is. I've said that several times since that interview. He just, you know, a funny thing about this video, um, I think the overall video or the overall interview is about an hour. And our goal was that we wanted to get that interview done in 30 minutes and i'll never forget we sat down with ryan and we went through the the whole interview and we got done and i asked the guys i said the guys filming i said was that 30 minutes and they said no that was an hour <laughs> but it didn't feel like it because he's just so engaging and, he, and he's a great storyteller so i think everybody's going to agree everybody's going to love the second part of this interview just as much as they did the first yeah you can tell it comes straight from his heart because it just pours right out 
Yeah, just, and he's told these stories once or twice before. I'm you sure. Can tell. Yeah, I'm sure it's interesting how an Olympian gets his start on day one. He goes and he runs this crazy distance. Can you imagine that happening? I mean, isn't that crazy? It goes against everything we teach. That's exactly. <laughs> we we talk about too much too soon. Don't skip ahead. Start with that 60 second run, and and he goes out and he runs. 15 miles around a lake. So for all of you listening out there, and, and maybe you've never run before, don't do what Ryan Hall did. <laughs> That's it, important. It turns out he was an Olympian. Uh, so uh, it, it turned out okay for him. It turned out okay. Um, yeah. But the odds are that it won't turn out well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think it's interesting because I think sometimes it's easy for us to hold people back from doing things because we think, oh, it's too much or it's a little outside outside the box. Uh, I think sometimes even just doing something different that nobody's ever done before, people are a little reluctant to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of one of those things. Yeah, absolutely. He, he also talked about running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. You know, I've thought about that a lot, and think about the logistics behind that. I mean, obviously he said they had a, a private jet, but just think about the logistics of of just trying to pull that off. I mean, obviously they had an organization that, that did that, but that just seems, that seems insane to me. Yeah. 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 But fun. Really, really a cool thing to be a part of. And it's interesting that he didn't train for it so that it was similar to that first run that he took. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I, one thing that gets me is that, that first marathon, it seems like it would be easy. Not easy. It's still a marathon. But the second one, a little bit harder but by the time you get to that third fourth fifth you you've got to think that everybody was that was doing it not only ryan that they're so insanely sore by that second or third day that i would think the mental game is harder than the actual races themselves because you know they're waking up thinking oh man I don't know gotta if I do can this do again. this. I, I got to do this again. Yeah. Uh, and not only not only that, but the sleep that they're getting is on an airplane. Uh, yeah. And probably in a place that's not that comfortable. Yeah. And, hard and to you do. got everybody smelling on there, probably. <laughs> you know, everybody's doing these marathons. So even uh, after bathing, after that much sweating, it, it's got to be. Um, yeah. But I mean, it. the mental fortitude there that those guys had to do that is just really impressive. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, and he talks a lot about the mental game, and he, he talks about his pers- the personal excellence. And, and um, you realize really quickly in listening to him that he's got it together upstairs as far as his thoughts go. He, Absolutely. He, he picks a direction, and when he goes in that direction, it's, there's the, he's got blinders on. It's, yeah. it's not paying attention to anything out here. It's boom. And I think that's the reason I really tried to dig in on the mental side because it it is so important. It's it's important in not only sport but also in our, our walk with Christ. You know, there's there's all these naysayers, there's all these negative thoughts, there's all these negative pressures that say you can't do this or you don't need to do this. And with sport and our our walk with Christ, it's learning how to to cope with that and to get through that to the other side. And, uh, yeah, he's just a really impressive guy. I'm so glad we were able to get him on. Yeah, and that, that personal excellence and that whole idea of personal excellence extends not only to your Christian walk, but also to your job, mm-hmm. to raising your kids, mm-hmm. to, to all the things in life. It just makes a, it makes a difference. Yeah. Um, it's, and I think about myself and I think about my running career and the, and the times when 
when I was much more accomplished, when I was running much faster. And um, the things that I learned in, in trying to train through and the experiencing failure and triumph and, and going, it, it's just so valuable to us Absolutely. Uh, to be runners. Yeah. Um, he talked about focusing on what we can control and not focusing on what we can't. Isn't that so hard? Boy, as Christians, we struggle with that well, one. Well, and how relevant is that? How relevant is that today? Man. Today, with the coronavirus and everything that's going on, there's so many things that are out of our control. The government is is shutting things down. We're having to to worship from home. Kids aren't going to school. Just yesterday in our state of Georgia, they canceled the schools for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And there's so many things that are out of our control that we've got to latch on to what we can control. You know, what is what is my family and I doing tonight? Yeah. What are we cooking tonight? If you focus <laughs> on those things that you can control, because it's easy to get overwhelmed, especially when you turn the, the news on. Uh, mm. it's, it's very easily to get overwhelmed by the things that we can't control. So he was spot on. I mean, and it's so relevant for today yeah there's only one thing on the news right now i mean if you turn on the news there's there's nothing else there and uh, it's incredible it is to see how our world has changed so much in in a month and yeah in three weeks yeah Yeah. i I was i think i was talking on a couple episodes ago how we were in sarasota and lane's got race got canceled and i was so disappointed and it's you know i've told you dean it's my thoughts about this whole coronavirus how quickly they've changed mm. in three weeks. Because three weeks ago, I'll be honest, I, I thought it was a little bit ridiculous what we're doing. And, and now I I see that, you know, there were some people out there that <laughs> they really knew what they were talking about and they could see this wave coming. And, and I'm I'm glad that they, yeah. they saw that and, and kind of pulled us all back as a society. And I think it's good. I think there's so much good come out. There's a lot of bad that has has happened. People have lost their jobs. Um, schools have been canceled, but there's a lot of good that has come out of this. That's one of my favorite things about living in this country is when, when we get our backs against the wall as a country, um, we tend to, we tend to focus on the right things for the most part. Um, and a lot of that is getting back to our faith. I've seen a lot of, a lot of folks Mm -hmm. who have turned back to, you know, I've kind of dropped the ball on, on my faith and my journey and, um, I need to pick that ball back up. Yeah, and and look what's happened. I mean, you can. I, I'm guilty. I watch the president's press conferences uh, just about every night because I think we should. I think we need to be. We need a little bit of it to to stay informed. But we do. Think about what he's been saying and what governors of some other states have been saying. They've been complimenting each other. Right. Arch rivals just a month ago. Right. And and how the president is complimenting the governor of this state and the governor of this state is complimenting the president. That's one of those good things. Yes, it is. You know, our political leaders have learned something here. I, I hope they've learned something. <laughs> I hope it sticks. <laughs> I hope it sticks. But uh, that is a breath of fresh air. It is. Uh, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, that's good to see. It is. And uh, it's it encouraging. Is. Yeah, absolutely. And if we, hit, if we head back to running and we think, you mentioned several quotes that Ryan had, had uttered in the past. Um, and I really like this first one. And the quote was, how you define hard is going to determine how you experience hard, meaning running hard. Yeah. Isn't there a lot of truth there? There is a lot of truth there. And I, I, I'll never forget, you came to me after that, that interview, and I, did, I wasn't there mm-hmm. during that interview, but you came to me afterwards, and that, that really particularly struck you as how do you think—he doesn't use the word hard. 
the word hard is not in his vocabulary because right. he thinks that's a bad word. And I get it. I get it. It's an interesting thought. And it and it's what's amazing about it is a lot of times it's who you surround yourself with. Hmm. You know, you know, he talked about, you know, when he was running I think he, he talked about running thirty, forty miles a week and he thought that was hard. That was yeah. a lot. Until he put himself in a different atmosphere and he was running a lot more than that. And so he looked back and 30, 40 miles a week didn't seem so hard. And how many times do we do that in our 5K classes? We get to that week eight. We talked about Denise several weeks back saying, mm -hmm. you know, I can't do this. This is hard. When does running get easier? Well, all you got to do is look back a little bit yeah. and see that what you thought was hard then isn't now. And what you think hard is now is not going to be here in a few more weeks. And so a lot, yeah. a lot of wisdom. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, there may be a lot of people out there kind of like me, um, Running was a lot easier for me at one time, right. but as I get as I get older, uh, that perception changes in the opposite direction. Of course, Ryan's not old enough to see it change in the opposite yeah. direction yet. Yeah. But um, but yeah, the, the idea of being of running hard is different today than it was to me just five years ago. And it's all relative. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. But you got to accept that too. It's, you it's, do. It's, your, it's where you are in life. My body keeps telling me that. It's, you need to just accept you're getting older. <laughs> you know, I, I'm looking at the glasses on your head right now. I've got a pair of those now. Yeah. And Welcome to the club. I didn't want to accept that. But <laughs> when I put a pair on, I realized, oh, I need to accept this fact yeah. that I need readers now. So. <laughs> His second quote was, what you learn in one season of life is meant to be pulled into the next season. Um, golly, that's how often do we go through tough times and then later on we realize, oh, that's why I went through that. Mm -hmm. Hindsight's twenty twenty. It is. I see people, uh, you know, you see, I, I think about that in the context of today and where we are today too, where I, I've seen a lot of people argue that people, young folks today have never seen hard times. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, you realize, you know, they really haven't. And, um, I mean, yeah, everybody, there are families that have seen tough times. There are certainly people, and we're not saying that there's nobody out there who's ever seen a tough day in their life, right. but the, what is tough, um, is, is relative, just like we were just talking about. And I've talked with those people who went through the, depre the depression, mm -hmm. who went through war, mm -hmm. um, who went through, um, the, the stock market crashes and th just all these crazy things that, that they've been through, um, some of those young folks are getting to see a, just a taste of that yeah. kind of thing today. Yeah, and you, you pull it on down to our, our, our running life. And, you know, we, we had a, a workout the other day and with the triathlon team, and one of our athletes just had a dismal workout. And that athlete just happened to be my son, Lane. And on the way home, I said, well, and he was beating himself up and just, you know, he takes, he takes bad workouts. He doesn't take them very well. And I said, well, did you learn something? And he's like, yeah. And he just started ranting on about this and that. I'll never do that. And I said, then it was a good workout because you learned something. Yeah. And we learn from those experiences, not only in life, but as, as, as athletes as well. You, you're famous for making the quote, you know, if you don't have the bad days, you have nothing compared to the good ones too. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's so true. So, yeah. You, we, a season of life can be workout to workout. It can be. And, uh, day to day. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's another one. What you believe about yourself is going to determine where you go in life. And 
That's a great quote. <laughs> As parents, we we really want to drill that one into into kids, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and Jesus, he points out rightly so, and I, and I love the way Ryan continuously goes back to an example in the Bible and in right. all of his answers. Um, it's just it's great to see. But he talks about how Jesus teaches us that everything flows out of the heart. Right. And so what we believe about ourselves is, is, is important for that reason. And in these days, uh, I hate to keep going back to these days, but we're seeing that kind of in real life right now. People are being squeezed. Yeah. And what are we seeing come out? Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the truest testament of who you are at your core is what is coming out in these days. When, when you're upset because your race gets canceled or you're upset because the grocery store is out of toilet paper. Are, are you giving grace or are you lashing out? And mm-hmm. if you find yourself lashing out, and I've been guilty too, um, but that I hope that that is a, I hope that God hits us right then. Yeah. And we get that conviction and we say, oh, that's not what I want coming out. That's not what I've professed to believe. That's not how I've um, portrayed myself. And, I hope that we make that change right then. Yeah. Uh, because we're all getting squeezed right now. We are. We are. And it's, I don't know why it's so hard sometimes for, and it's different for different people. For some people, it's really hard to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, for other people, uh, some people have an overabundance of confidence. Yeah. Um, I, I've been charged with that before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, why is it so difficult, do you think, for people to believe in themselves? You know, confidence is one of those, uh, we talk to the kids a lot. I say there's a fine line between confidence and cockiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we should have confidence. We should have confidence in who we are and, and who we put our faith in. Mm-hmm. But that line can easily be crossed into cockiness. Yeah. And it, a lot of times it just depends on where you're pointing. Are you pointing at me? Are you, are you pointing at self? Are you giving the credit to God? Yeah, and to me, a lot of times that is where confidence meets cockiness is what you do in those two situations. Absolutely, and when we can see ourselves the way God sees us, yeah, it makes a big difference. Absolutely. Uh, when I could get outside of myself, I was much better at managing pain. Yeah, that was that was mo- maybe the most revolutionary thing that he said to me. Was it was so odd because I I I'm an internal guy when it comes to pain and pain um, magnifies that. It, it does. It, it makes you look even more and more and more. I hurt. I need to do this. And, and if I think what he's saying there is, if we can get outside, you know, he talks about doing math. I've heard different people talk about doing different things when it starts hurting bad to get our focus off the pain. But that's hard to do, you know. I've never run like you and some other guys do. I, I've I've never been an elite runner in my past. When it starts hurting really bad, I back it down. But to be at the level you're at or you've been at and, and Ryan's at, you've got to learn to to break through that. And um, yeah, I don't I don't know what you think about it, but I, I thought it was a great quote. Well, I thought that this whole idea of being a professional pain manager was interesting because that really is what you're doing. It is. And it really is a difficult thing to do because the further you go and the harder, the more it hurts, the louder that voice in your head is screaming at you. You're going to need to stop. You're going to need to slow down. And you're you're still you're yelling back at it. No, no, I'm not. And yeah. 
Um, it's a it's a serious battle. And I, you know, I think if if you're listening to this and, and pain is something you want to learn more about, I think in a, here in a few weeks you're gonna have you're gonna have a special guest on, and that's what you're gonna be talking about on the Facebook Live. Yeah, you're gonna be talking about pain. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Or may, may, maybe that guest one. has already been on. I'm not yeah. sure by the time we record this. I'm getting a little bit confused here. Yeah, actually, he's already been on. He's already been on. So yes. so go back to the Facebook group, the Run Club <laughs> Facebook group. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Uh, and But really, you guys are talking about how to get through pain. Right, because that's... That's so important. To run. It, it depends on what you want out of running, too. Yeah. You know, if you just want to have fun with running, then that's mm-hmm. great. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to be the fastest runner you can be, you're going to need to learn how to deal with, with pain. Absolutely. Um, and, and I love the way that he says, you know, hey, Jesus, in, in, it says in the Bible, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it puts a whole different spin on pain, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you can focus on, you know, we've, we've told the kids before, you know, look back at workouts and, and look at the times where you broke through and think about how you felt once you broke through, because the, the exhilaration of breaking through pain and reaching that goal, goal far outweighs the, the pain of quitting. Yep. Um, yeah, there's a quote we use there, and I can't even remember the quote right now. But, but the the pain of success is always greater than the pain of, of the workout or the regret. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, but it's hard. It's hard to think about that when you're it, when you're in the thick of it. Oh, it is. It is. But I, I think about it from time to time. I'll tell you, I've had other things too. When I know somebody's watching, like as as a coach now, if I know there's somebody. Well, last year I was doing this 10k on the track last year. I knew that halfway through that I wasn't going to run that well, mm-hmm. and I, I I could have just kind of mailed it in the rest of the way. Still would have finished in the same place I finished in, but I knew that there was an athlete there that I coach who was watching me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't give up. Yeah, I, I had to keep going. Yeah, um, and I, I I like when when I get that opportunity, I see that athlete break through, and I like to look into their eyes and say, I want you to think about how you feel right now and i want you to remember how you feel right now Mm because you're going to need that yeah um yeah it's it's neat and um he talked about the mental both the mental and the physical side i think you you asked him um about which one was more important or which one do you focus on more or or whatever it was and he he talked about how it depends on your goals Mm -hmm. which i think is completely 100 percent dead on yeah, and I think a lot of it depends on the person, too. You know, some people have it together mentally. There's yeah. people out there that think they can do anything. And so they don't struggle as much with the mental side. It's it's the fits. There's people out there that think they can do it, and we all know they can't. There's people out there that think they can't, and we all know they can. So I think it depends on which side of the aisle you're on there. Um, but, yeah, it takes it takes the perfect blend of having the, the physical ability and the mental fortitude at whatever task it is, not, yeah. not just That's true. running, but you know, if, if I think that I can get that job and I have the credentials to do it, then, then chances are that I've got a lot better chance of getting that job as opposed to if I go into that job interview and I'm thinking, I'm not going to get this job. 
Yeah. Know, who who was it said if you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Henry Ford. Henry Ford. Wasn't it? Yeah, I think that I think quote's been right. attributed to a few people, but, yeah. but whoever said it's dead on. Yeah. Um it's it's how you view yourself going into whatever it is you're doing. You know the way I always <laughs> I always put it, I always said when I was a kid, my mother told me I could do anything. Exactly. And I believed her. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you still do to this day. I, and I, I, I still believe I can do anything, even though I can't. Right. Um, like jump over fence. Like jump over fence. <laughs> uh, so um, he talked about how we have, there's different tools in the toolbox. And, and, and it, it was interesting to hear him talk about how he manages his pain. And sometimes he focuses on the, the camera in front of him and talks, thinks about how much he loves that person or whatever, which I thought was really fascinating. What I do is, even today, if I'm out there and I'm out on the road and I'm having a hard time, I'll do one of two things. I'll either start by calling myself ugly names mm-hmm. and just getting all over myself and saying, just pick it up. You, you're just a wimp. And I'll just call myself. A, and Or if that doesn't work, then I go to, you're awesome. You know you can do this. <laughs> and I go back and forth. Whichever one works that day, I'll use that one. I typically <laughs> stick to the the first idea. I, I, I'm, I'm on myself pretty hard, especially <laughs> when it's a workout and you're thinking, man, there's nobody on the track right now. I can just, I can cut this workout short. And, man, I will really give myself down the road about that because, yeah, you, you can't let yourself fall into that trap. That's right. You can't. Yep, yep. So we hope that you enjoyed uh, the, the first half of Ryan's interview. There will be a second half coming up next week. We also want to talk about becoming a Run, run for God coach. You know, right now um, is a hard time mm-hmm. for our Run for God coaches. There's a lot of them out there. Some of them are doing some things online through Facebook Live and other other ways of communicating with their groups. But of course, that kind of defeats a little bit of the purpose of, mm-hmm. of uh, our program, the 5K Challenge, because part of that is the people meeting together and, and sharing their experience. Accountability. Um, you can still do that online, though. Absolutely. Um, there are things that... Uh, that you can do. A lot of folks don't like to get behind a camera. Uh, I can tell you, we didn't like getting behind a camera for a while either. Right. Uh, it gets a little easier each time. So Yeah, and it's amazing how everybody is latching on and learning more about this technology. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's any coincidence that we're sitting here doing this podcast right now. We just a few weeks ago finished up the 5K Challenge podcast, which... By the way, for you coaches out there, and if you're considering becoming a coach, um, take advantage of that. Use use that 5K podcast. If you're not completely comfortable teaching the curr- curriculum, you know, you and I and Ted sat down and we walked uh, participants through the whole 5K challenge on a podcast. And the podcast is absolutely free out there. You can go and listen to it. You can you can get the materials at runforgod.com. But it's like God knew there was something coming up and we were going to need this technology. And here we are today, you know, uh, you know we're, we're limited to, to 10 or a few people now. And um, so this, this technology is really coming in handy right now. God's timing. God's yeah, timing. Absolutely. Yep. Hey, we will see you next week with part two of the Ryan Hall interview. We look forward to that. Until then, shine your light from wherever you are planted. Good job, Dean. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.